so last Sunday evening, for those who were here, we thought about a name of God. Jehovah said, can you? Yahweh said, can you? The Lord our righteousness. And I had the privilege of hearing it twice because Mark preached it first at our preaching group during the week where we have a couple of us uh, get to where we've got to in terms of our sermon preparation. And then I heard it again Sunday evening and I enjoyed it both times. And I hope you enjoyed it if you were here last Sunday evening. And I wasn't settled on what to do this week in this sort of in-between patch. And it made me think of doing another name of God. So we're doing another name of God this Sunday evening. And it's a name that comes up in verse 13 of Genesis 16. And it's the name El Roy. El Roy. You are the God who sees. And I just want us to drink that in and think about that. You are the God who sees. I wonder how you feel about the title, The God Who Sees. Sometimes it might seem a frightening thing, quite an alarming thing. Um, think of the children's talk we had uh, a few weeks ago, your sin will find you out, that sense of God seeing all the wrong things we do. We all have to give an account to God because he sees everything. You think of the uh, confession that David came to in Psalm 51 uh, against you, this evil have I done in your sight, he says. Done this evil in your sight. So it can be a, a sobering, thought-provoking, convicting thing to think of the Lord who sees. Uh, but here it's a, a beautiful thing. And it sits at the end of a beautiful account it's heartwarming and it's moving. It's, you have to be careful of making distinctions that aren't there between Old and New Testament. There's so much grace in the Old Testament as well as the New. But it almost feels like an episode of, from the Gospel of Luke dropped back into Genesis. Of course, we want to keep the big picture in mind, always in the Bible, and especially in Genesis. Abraham has promised uh, a son... This is pivotal to God's plan for humanity that a son will be given through Abraham and many promises will be fulfilled through that son. It took a long time in coming. And maybe Sarah, she's Sarah in the passage, she becomes Sarah later on. Abraham is Abraham in the passage, he becomes Abraham later on. I I use the name we're more familiar with. Uh, Perhaps Sarah felt uh, a bit bad that it was her fault that there was no child, no son. And she tries to take matters into her own hands in this passage. She gives her maid over to her husband. It was sometimes done in those days, but it wasn't right. And this isn't, this isn't the way. It isn't according to God's good revealed plan. And it causes trouble God's way often needs to be waited for. That's some of the big picture that's unfolding. But within this drama of this bad move, if you like, um, there is a a great um, cameo of the wonderful kindness of God which is revealed here in Genesis 16 which leads on then to this 
name of God which we're thinking of. You are the God who sees. And uh, I just want us to to go through the flow of the account this evening um, which bring out some of the colours of this lovely phrase that we're thinking of. You are the God who sees. We're going to do it in three parts. And the first is to think along these lines. A mess too bad for God. A mess too bad for God. Uh, you You might expect that God would not be interested in Hagar and her situation because it is, after all, very messy. It's very messy. This isn't really the sort of godly family at its best. There are mistakes flying all over the place in these verses. Uh, Some of us did a men's Bible study a few weeks ago. We were looking at uh, God's sort of family, the the family of promise at a different point in Genesis and we looked at different characters and many of them were contributing to another messy situation there and it seems to be here. You think of the different characters involved and what they're doing and uh, A sort of bizarre situation is unfolding. You have Sarah and uh, her unbelieving idea in the second verse that uh, she wants her husband to have her servant, Hagar, to obtain children by her. And that was uh, not God's way. That wasn't keeping in, time, in line with the opening of Genesis, uh, one husband, one wife together bad idea and you have Abraham's stupid agreement to the idea in verses 2 and 3 and he's a bit sort of Adam like really, we've got the echoes of Adam and Eve here which sort of underline that this is a bad move because Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah so after Abraham had lived Ten years in the land of Canaan, Abraham's wife took, listened, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as wife. The man of faith seems devoid of faith. Then you have Hagar's disrespect in verse 4. So, although she becomes the object of something quite gracious as time goes on, she's not without her blemishes. Hagar conceives in verse 4, and when she's seen that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, full of disrespect and despising of Sarah. And then you have Abraham's, I would say, wouldn't you, it's sort of dereliction of responsibility in verse 6. Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Well, it's, it's good for a husband to give wife some freedom and not be controlling like some husbands are, but you feel that this is a bit too hands-off. 
because Sarah's going to really mistreat and maltreat this Hagar, and Abraham's really saying, not my fault, over to you, do as you want to, and yet he's head of the household. There's a dereliction of responsibility. And then you have Sarah's a harsh treatment, as you carry on in verse 6, then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Maybe not a, just a one-off nasty comment, uh, maybe she gave her extra jobs, more jobs than she could cope with, even though she's now an expectant mother. There was no thanks. Perhaps she was talking roughly to Hagar. Perhaps she was denying her nice things, small portions for Hagar. She, she was the object of her hatred and her harshness and her animosity. And then you have Hagar running away. Well, perhaps you say you can understand she wants to run away. But she is also leaving her job and she's leaving her husband, if you can call Abram that in this circumstance. So it's messy, isn't it? All three of them do doubly bad things. There's a child on the way, not through normal relationships. As a child who would be separate from her father if things carry on the way it's going. The lady is the subject of, it seems like, domestic abuse. There's rejection and there's dejection. There's a running off to Egypt. Who comes out of this with a good reputation? None of them do. It was about uh, 10 or 11 years ago, David Cameron gave a big speech about troubled families and an extra billion pound to deal with some of the troubled families of the nation which would be a massive help in terms of the behaviour of the nation. Well, it's almost like this family is one of the troubled families even though they're the family of promise. The family of promise is like a soap opera. And yet, uh, aren't we like that? Sometimes, some ways, messing up, messy situations. And yet, it is in this situation that God sees and God visits. I think verse 7 is amazing. The angel of the Lord found her like the, the shepherd seeking the lost sheep. It's a wonderful picture of God's grace. A mess too bad for God, a mess too bad for God to look at, a mess too bad for God to take interest in, a mess too bad for God to be involved and dealing with and the answer is no. And as we think about this, this wonderful picture of God's grace here, I think it, well I think there's a couple of things. I think it should affect our attitude to sad, messy situations. It's very easy to look down our noses on situations which we feel are a mess and where people we feel are doing things wrong. It's easy to sort of disregard and discard situations. I know some of you are so compassionate 
and an example to us all in your love and care and concern for some messy situations, situations which are very difficult to know how to help and what to do with. But here this example of the Lord would encourage a sense of compassion and love and not condescension and harshness towards situations like this. It takes us that way in terms of our attitude to messy situations. But doesn't it also make us thankful for a God who takes interest in situations like this, who sees situations like this, who shows compassion in situations like this. That he looks on us in our mess, in our dereliction of responsibility, in us making bad decisions, in us being unbelieving, in us being harsh towards others, and the Lord looks on with compassion in that situation. Bad choices, mistreatment, broken promises, neglected responsibilities, and yet, not a mess too bad for God in this instance and in so many instances. Let's uh, move on in the passage and we, come, we move on from a mess too bad for God question mark to an encounter with God. An encounter with God. I think it's wonderful here. So she fled, verse 6. The Lord found Verse 7. Don't you love that? She, she fled, verse 6, with all that was going so wildly wrong, the Lord found her. She's on her way to Egypt. Sure, is Egypt way. Uh, it was perhaps her homeland. She's probably a, a, a foreign lady, which might add to the extra sense of the compassion of God in this situation. And then you have the Lord, the angel of the Lord, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now this, uh, the angel of the Lord phrase, does come up in the Old Testament and it's uh, puzzled people and people look at it and try and understand quite how we should understand the angel of the Lord but it seems to be more than just an ordinary angel. And uh, the, the general view seems to be to see the angel of the Lord as, as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, coming in Old Testament times and dealing with people on earth before his incarnation. And so the, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the Lord finds her, seeks her, finds her, and she has an encounter with God. Perhaps the last person you might expect to have an encounter with God, given all that's happened. But the Lord is in this situation and dealing with this situation. And he asks her a question. It's sometimes a good way of dealing with a situation. The Lord asks her a question. Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? He gives her a word of address to her situation in verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. You know, not all situations are right to run from. There is an instinct in us, isn't there, to run away from difficulty and sadness. And that has its place. Biblically, there are times to get up and go. But... uh, 
there's not always the right instinct. Some of us have a particular instinct to always press the run button and sometimes it's the right thing to hang in there, see into our responsibilities, to serve others, to serve the Lord, even in difficulties. This wasn't an easy command from the angel of the Lord to, ha- to Hagar, but that is what is said to her, to head back and return. But it comes with something extra, and this probably helps her in heading back. It comes with a big extra. It comes with a big promise. Verses 10 and 11. This is what's added to her in this, added to her in this encounter. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. There she is, a mother, wondering about the future of the babe inside her, in her great difficulties. And there's this promise of, not only the baby surviving, you know, will the baby survive with what's ahead of us, but the promise of a, of a big nation through that child. It's not the only time when there is good news given from an angelic being on the bearing of a son. It makes, takes us to Luke chapter 1 and verse 31 and behold Mary's told you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus well Ishmael would be born and Ishmael was not from the promised line uh, so he would not be the sort of fount of the blessings that would come later on through Isaac he's generally seen as the father of the Arabs the Arabs are fathered through the line of Ishmael. But it was an act of great kindness of God to this woman in tremendous distress. And why is all this happening? The end of verse 11 there. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. It's a God who sees. It's also a God who hears. The Lord has listened to your affliction. So the Lord comes into situations of mess with a word of correction, return, submit, get back on track and sometimes he comes to our situations of mess with the same word of correction, return, get back on track but also with gracious promise for us too. So as the apostles preach in Acts chapter 3 and this message of return is given to people. There is also blessing that follows on in verses 19 and 20 of Acts 3. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So a word to us may be this evening to return to experience the promised kind blessing of God. 
So God finds, God advises, God asks, God reassures, God promises in this encounter. Uh, Now, I enjoyed about a week or just over ago an evening with the YPs bowling. They kindly let an old fella join them for their bowling evening. And uh, just before we went bowling, we we did look at uh, an an episode in the Bible and we looked at the the woman at the well in the New Testament. And isn't there a lot of similarities? Her life was seen. Jesus knew everything that she had done. She was in a mess. She'd had five husbands and was on an extra one now. She encountered Jesus. He gave her the promise of living water leading to eternal life. So doesn't all this, the Hagar incident and the woman at the well incident, give you a sense of hope yourself? Isn't that what you need? The need for the Lord to come and deal kindly with you, mercifully with you, graciously with you, despite the mess of the situation, to get you back on track, to give you a word of promise and encouragement. Well, she had an encounter with God and she she never forgot that encounter, as we shall see. We move on towards the end of the passage and we have a name for God. A name for God. So this whole experience that Hagar had left a a deep impression on her. And two things are given names. Firstly, and and primarily, um, a name is given to the Lord because of what's happened. Um, The whole experience has, has taught her something about God and about his character. Something's deeply impressed her heart through what she's been through. And so she responds by calling, giving God a name, a description. It's really, it seems to me, don't you think it's an act of recognition of who God is? It's almost an act of worship of who God is reflects how God has dealt with her. She gives him a name in verse 13, so, as a result of all these things, so, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, or you are the God who sees. Well, it it reflects what we call God's omniscience, omniscience knowing everything, seeing everything. Yes, that's true. And uh, we, we sung about that, Psalm 139. I don't know if you quite realised how close Psalm 139, which we sung, was to what we would be doing. But that was full, as the psalm is, of God seeing everything. Of, uh, we can't flee from his presence. So that, that is all true with the God who sees. But I think here... She is expressing something more tender. God had had noticed her situation. 
God had attended to her situation. God had pursued her situation. God had breathed compassion into her situation. It was on his radar. It was of interest to him. He didn't stay away. He didn't push it away. Even then, at that point, despite all she had done wrong and others had done wrong, even there, a long way off, by this sort of spring in the middle of nowhere, on the way down to Egypt, and he, he was the Lord who saw, attended, visited her. It's a bit like, um, you know, in the New Testament, the prodigal son, while he was still a long way off, the father went. It's full of God's compassion, isn't it, this name? You are a God who sees. An amazing description of God. A heartwarming description of God, don't you think? You are the God who sees. So she gave a name to God. You are the God who sees. An expression of worship, of amazement. But she also gives the place a name. Mentioned the woman at the well. Well, we, we have a, a well here. We have a spring here. And she gives that a name too in verse 14. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Which means, well of the one who lives and sees me. Well of the one who lives and sees me. So that spring, that well, got given a name in, in memory of what had happened to her. I don't know how often she passed that way in the, in the future. I don't know how many people got told, it must have become a bit more common parlance for it to end up in our Bibles and people might pass there and they wouldn't be saying oh look there's Piltdown Pond, there's Cookmere Haven, they'd be saying look that's, that's the God who sees me well that's the God who sees me spring and they would bring to mind what happened to Hagar in her distraught state Well, we don't make too much of places, but maybe you think back to places where God was especially kind to you, do you? Where in a sense God visited you, showed mercy to you, taught you. It may have been in your bedroom that you came to an understanding of the God of grace. Was it there? Maybe in a church or church building, maybe here. Maybe on a YP holiday. And that place has been the sort of, God saw me, God dealt with me, God took interest in me, God had compassion on me, God turned my life around, God got me to return, God got me back on track kind of a place. Maybe even today and this evening might be that for some of you that as you look at this wonderful encounter 
and you think of God's grace, maybe God might even use it in your life for it to be a time of turnaround, a time of change, a time of transformation. Well, it's a wonderful account. It's warm to my heart. I don't think I've done a very good job of taking you through it. But I hope that by the end of it, um, this phrase, this title of God, you are the God who sees, is something that feels good, special, heartwarming and praiseworthy. Shall we sing our last song? Our last song both reflects on the the compassion of God and encourages us in our own hearts to be compassionate towards others. There is an everlasting kindness you lavished on us when the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost who called the sheep without a shepherd to leave their distress for your streams of forgiveness and the shade of your rest. So we turn to the compassion of Christ in our last song.
thank you for this beautiful little account and the, the beautiful title uh, that it reflects of your compassionate heart and gracious attitude. We thank you for the ways in which we have found that in our own lives, where despite the mess, despite the wrongdoing, and despite the neglected responsibilities, you have shown grace and turned us round and brought us back. And we pray, Lord, it will give us a compassionate heart towards others, that whilst we have a, a sense of righteousness and holiness and justice, that we don't become aloof and haughty and arrogant, condescending and critical, but we have a compassionate heart towards those in difficult situations, towards those who've got themselves in difficult situations, because we know that's where we've been. And may we, uh, as far as we are able, and within our responsibilities, be able to show compassion and kindness to others. We pray all this and ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.